Well, good morning. If you would, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. And we're going to start in verse 5. And then we've got a whopper of a passage today. Uh, my last couple of sermons have been doozies. Um, a while back, I preached a sermon titled, Repent or Perish. A couple of weeks back, I, I preached on Jesus flipping tables and wrecking shop in the temple. And this week, we're going to get a good dose of destruction, persecution, and suffering. So uh, I'm becoming like the judgment guy at Wayside. <laughs> like if, you need a, if you need a sermon preached on destruction, like I'm your guy, okay? I'm your guy. That's who Roger's training me up to be. Um, but this is, a, this is a big passage, okay? I mean, there, there's way more here than we have time to cover. I mean, there's a lot of end times, prophecy type stuff. I know uh, some of you, like 10 of you, eat that stuff up. Um, uh, just FYI, I mean, you like going into the weeds. We're not going to do that today, okay? Um, the good news is, if you were here a couple weeks ago, uh, Roger had a sermon titled, A Peek into the Afterlife, and he absolutely went into the weeds, okay? So if you like end time charts and, uh, you know, the great white throne judgment and Bema Seat judgment and millennial kingdom and rapture, and you just want to dig in, we'll pull up that sermon, okay, because we're not doing that today. Um, but what I want us to do this morning... Okay, what I want us to do this morning is really, we're just going to, we're going to look at a couple big themes that are in our passage. And then what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to ask ourselves as 21st century Christians or as 21st century non-believers, like, what do we do with this passage? How does it apply to my life right now? And so as we read about the destruction of the temple and all the signs leading up to its destruction and the cosmic signs and the wars and the plagues that will happen right before Christ's return. Like all of this, how does this relate to my life? Or when it talks about how people are going to be hated because of their allegiance to Jesus or how their suffering is actually going to be an opportunity for the gospel to go out. What does that mean for me today? So that's where we're going uh, light stuff, real light stuff. But um, I think it'd be wise before we jump in to come before our God again and just invite him, invite him uh, to help us process some of these things. Uh, and so if you would, uh, bow with me. We're going to pray one more time. Well, Father God, I pray that you would guide us right now. I know for some of us, when we, when we read passages like this, and we th- think about the end times, and we, we read about people being hated because of their faith, and we think about hardships and sufferings, uh, a lot of us just want to tune out, because we don't like thinking about those things. But God, I pray we wouldn't do that today. And I pray that you would help us to allow your truth to sink deep into our hearts and as we process your revelation, I plead, God, that your spirit would intervene and would do a mighty work in each one of us today. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, this, like I said, this is a big passage. I originally thought, like, maybe I'd just read a couple verses and then just paraphrase some. Um, but I felt like God kind of told me, he's like, don't do me like that. So um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna read the whole thing, okay? So we're going to read the whole passage 
Um, and another reason for that is because the Spirit may convict you of something as you're reading that I'm not even going to talk about. Uh, but there's something powerful, right? There's something powerful that happens when we open God's Word together and we read it, okay? So we're going to do that. We're going to read the entire thing. We're going to go from like 5 all the way to 36, okay? So take a deep breath, all right? If, if, if your neighbor falls asleep, you budge him. You say, hey, this is God's Word, okay? Like, you wake up, all right? So verse 5, chapter 21, it says this. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, Jesus said, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said, See to it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. But do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. And Jesus continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes, and in various places plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute, but you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, and relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to his people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword, and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and the earth dismay among the nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then... They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, you straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you will see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Amen. (laughs) Well, half of my sermon is now done because I read the Bible. Um, And everybody breathe. Okay, let's get some oxygen. Okay, that, that, that was a lot of reading. Like some of you, if you're real, you've never read that much Bible in one sitting in your entire life, okay? So congratulations, okay? It's not that bad. You can do it. You can do it. But before we jump in, okay, before we, we jump in, what I want us to do is, is I want us to take a step back and just remember where we are in the scriptures and remember where we are in the timeline of Jesus' ministry. And so this is the section of scripture that is often referred to as Passion Week, Meaning that it is the last week of Jesus' earthly life. He's got his eyes on Friday, and in a few days he's going to go to the cross and he will die, which is why he came to earth, to die for sinners. But before he goes to the cross, he goes to the temple one last time in order to show his followers what true worship is supposed to look like. And so he goes into the temple, he wrecks shop, he drives out the wicked... And he begins to reinstate the original design of the temple, which was designed for true worshipers to worship Yahweh. And then Jesus stays in the temple as he teaches them and he prays with them and he heals them and he shows them how to give in a way that honors God, which is what Roger talked about last week. And things seem to be going pretty good. Uh, People are listening. They're responding to him. They keep coming back to him for more. Uh, But as you could just tell, things uh, shift quite a bit once we get to verse 5 in chapter 21. For it states that some of his followers were looking at the temple, and it says that as they're examining the temple, they're just amazed. Like, man, this is a beautiful place. Like, this is an incredible place. And if you do some research, historians will tell you that the temple was being refurbished under Herod the Great. And during this time, there were stones 12 feet by 60 feet that were used. I mean, these stone blocks were bigger than those used on the pyramids. I mean, this is a majestic place with gold and silver and great cluster vines. And so the disciples were just looking around. They're like little children. Like, man, this, this is an amazing place. And then Jesus makes a shocking claim, uh, which is a side note. At this point in Jesus' ministry, nothing that comes out of his mouth should truly be shocking, okay? Um, like, I've got some grandparents, like, every time they talk, I'm like, wow, I can't believe you said that. Um, but it's at the, you know, I've, they've done it my whole life, so now it's not shocking, okay? And I feel like Jesus has been doing the same thing for three years. But he tells them, they're all looking at this temple, and he's like, man, this is, this is beautiful, isn't it? It's gorgeous, isn't it? Well, guess what? It's all coming down, okay? Like, it's all, it's going to be utterly destroyed. It'd be like taking your kids to Disney World, right? And so you bring your kids to Disney World, and they're just like, man, this is a magical place, and they're so excited. They're filled with joy. And then you tell them, you say, hey, look at that castle up there. And they're looking at it like, yeah, that's so beautiful. It's it's magical. And they're like, yeah, isn't it? Well, guess what? It's coming down, okay? Everything's being torn down. I mean, they're going to start crying and freaking out. They're going to be asking all sorts of questions. I mean, that's what happens here. 
Okay, the disciples are like, are you kidding me? Okay, when is this going to happen? How will we know what will be the signs? And it reminds me, uh, when I was a little kid, my family uh, would often take these trips to this foreign world uh, called Colorado. And uh, these 20-hour trips from San Antonio, and as many of you parents know who have kids, right, uh, the most common yet dreaded question that every child asks on a trip is, are we there yet? Okay? Every five minutes, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And so as a parent, you've got two choices. Number one, you can take off your shoe and throw it at them. Okay? That's option one. Um, or option number two is you can tell them that there are certain signs that they can be on alert for. And once they see these, they'll know that the destination is close. For instance, when you see these large objects coming up from the earth, those are called mountains, okay? Or when you put your hand on the window and you notice that it's getting a lot colder because it's going to go from like 95 degrees to 25. Or when you notice that there's this white fluffy stuff coming from the skies, that's called snow, And so when you notice the mountains, and when you feel the temperature change, and when you see the snow, brace yourself, because that means we're almost there. And Jesus is going to do the same thing with his disciples. He's going to say, when you see these things, when these signs take place, buckle up, because that means the time is near. And so what Jesus is going to do in this passage is he's going to give them certain signs for two big events. Number one, the destruction of the temple. And number two, the future return of Christ. That's what this passage is all about. The destruction of the temple and the future return of Christ. This is what theologians will often refer to as a dual prophecy because he's talking about two different events that are going to happen in the future. But if you go back to the beginning of our passage, Jesus starts off answering their question in kind of a strange way. He says, first off, when the temple is destroyed, don't get too excited. Because there are still other things that have to take place before I come back. And what I think Jesus is doing here is I think Jesus is hinting at the fact that this is going to be a much longer process than you think. Okay? This is going to be a much longer process. And as we know, as history reveals to us, Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. Yet here we are, 2,000 years later, still waiting for some of these predictions to occur. And so I think Jesus is trying to help them out. He says, hey, when the temple falls, that doesn't mean the end is here. That doesn't mean the end has come. There's still a lot more that has to happen. So you persevere and you stand strong and you have faith and you know I'm in control of all of this. And then he tells them something else kind of odd. He said, be careful that you don't fall victim to false prophets or antichrists who would come in the name of Jesus declaring to be the Messiah. Do not be misled by them, which is kind of strange. We have to ask ourselves, like, why would his followers be so easily misled by these false Christs? Why would they be so easily misled? And I think the answer is pretty simple. I think the answer is pretty simple. 
their eager desire for this future event would put their hearts in a vulnerable place. Okay? Their eager desire for this future event that was, that was coming would put their hearts in a vulnerable place. And once their hearts were in that vulnerable place, they would be prone to deception. Let me relate it this way. Okay? As a singles pastor, um, I see this often. Okay? Before I illustrate, let me say this. Our singles group is awesome. Okay? They, are, they are awesome. And so if you're here and you're in your 20s or 30s, you're not married and you want to do life with some people that are seeking after Christ, you need to be in the fellowship hall at 9.15 a.m. Okay? Don't get overwhelmed. There's like 115 of them. Okay? But it's, it's an amazing group of people. Okay? Amazing group of people. Okay? But as many of them know, okay, if you do research, okay, about 90% or more of singles in their 20s and 30s are interested in the prospect of getting married. Okay? They're interested in marriage. And for a lot of them, this is a tremendous burden. Okay? If they're honest, this is a tremendous burden. They would like to be married, but they're not. And as many of them know, because of that desire, there is great temptation to compromise their values in order to expedite the process and get to that next stage of life that they so eagerly desire, which is marriage. And the reason they're so prone to that temptation is because of a very healthy and good desire. Marriage is a wonderful aspiration. But if you're not careful, if they're not careful, they can easily get in the trap of being in a relationship they shouldn't be in because their heart was in a vulnerable place, and so they've convinced themselves that so-and-so had certain qualities that they didn't really have. And so we talk about this all of the time. As a group, we're like, we have got to guard our hearts in order to persevere and wait for that right person. And so that's why this group is amazing. Like they strive for community, like they're in the word of God. They've got good accountability because they want to guard their hearts so that they can wait well as they navigate through this season. And Jesus knew that his followers would be tempted in a very similar way. That because of their eagerness to get to this next stage, this future reign of Christ, this time of redemption, they could easily fall into temptation and believe others to be the Messiah who were not the Messiah. So he says, you be careful, don't be misled. The same thing's happening today. Y'all probably get knocks on your doors all the time from these folks that are Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons. And they are leading thousands upon thousands astray because their victims are folks who have this desire for hope. And so they're prone to believing in a lie because their heart's in a vulnerable place. That's why we got to know our Bibles. Okay, that's why we got to have community. And that's why we've got to share the gospel. We've got to let people know what truth is. But Jesus says, this is how you're going to know that the time is, that the end is near. This is how you're going to know that I'm about to set up my kingdom here on earth. There's going to be wars. There's going to be great earthquakes and plagues and famines and all kinds of terrible stuff. And when you notice those things, you'll know, I'm about to come back. Uh, which doesn't seem to be all that helpful, okay? Um, there have been wars and earthquakes and all types of plagues and terrors for almost 2,000 years, okay? Uh, and so we've got to be asking ourselves, like, okay, what, what is the point here? And I think the point is this. I think Jesus is saying, okay, don't look for these things in order to predict the time of when I'll come back, but instead, 
realize that all of these wars and earthquakes and plagues are evidences of a future event that is certain to happen. It's not here yet, but it's coming. Okay, a lot of you moms out here, uh, you have experienced Braxton Hicks contractions, okay? Uh, Some of you may be experiencing that right now. Um, I got a lot of guys nodding your head. You don't know your, you don't know what this is, okay? But, um, I don't know what this is, okay? But, but a lot of you ladies, you do, okay? So uh, Braxton Hicks contractions, um, when they come, it does not mean that you're going into labor, okay? They are premature labor pains. But what they do indicate is that you're pregnant, okay? <laughs> you're pregnant. Um, and so they should serve as a reminder as you feel these pains, um, they should serve as a reminder that baby's coming, okay? And you need to prepare yourself because that event is certain to happen. And at the same time, every time we hear of a natural disaster or a war or some type of epidemic, the appropriate response is to realize that all of these events serve as a reminder that there is a future event, a final event where Christ will come back to judge the world, and it's certain. So get ready, because he's coming. But Christ goes on to say that before this future day of judgment, before he sets up his kingdom here on earth, there's going to be a gap of time where his followers are going to be persecuted for their faith. Okay, so I want us to understand something real quick. This is really important. Christ has ordained, Christ has ordained that there will be a time of persecution. Christ has ordained that there will be a time of persecution. He tells his followers, do not be surprised when people hate you because of me. Why? Because they hated me. He says, don't you be surprised when they persecute you because of me. Why? Because they persecuted me and threw me on a cross. You can read the book of Acts. You got story after story after story of believers being persecuted for their faith. Eleven of the twelve disciples were martyred for their faith. The early church was hunted down because of their faith. And Jesus tells them, do not be surprised when this happens. They did it to me, they're going to do it to you. And I'll say this, the same is true today. The same is true today. Okay? I just got an email a week ago, we've got, two, we've got two missionaries that we support here at Wayside Chapel who were just kicked out of their country. A pl- that was their home. They had lived there for years. Those were their people. Those were their relationships. And the government said, you got 48 hours, get out of here because of their faith in the gospel. Followers of Christ were hated 2,000 years ago and followers of Christ are hated today. It looks different in different places. Okay? In certain parts of the world, you can be imprisoned or killed because of your faith. In certain cultures, if you confess that Christ is king, your family will disown you. Now, praise God, we live in a country where we don't have to worry about that. Um, I'm not worried about losing my life here in America because of my faith. Now, that's not to say that things can't change. Who knows what's going to happen in 25 years? I'll be super honest with you. I mean, I'm not super optimistic as I look at the state of where our culture is at. But that's another sermon. That's another judgment sermon I'll do in a few weeks. Um, 
But as many of you know, okay, as many of you know, for those of you that seek to live out your faith, persecution is still alive and well in our society today. Persecution is still alive and well in our society today. For you middle schoolers, okay, you high schoolers, okay, there's going to come a day where some of you may go off to college. And when you go off to college, you may have a professor who gets up in front of the entire class and he's going to say, the Bible's not true, God is not real, and anyone who believes in that is a fool. And if you decide, you know what, I'm going to stand up to this professor and you try to stand up for your faith, he will mock you in front of the entire class. That's today, that's right now. That's right now. For others of you, if you decide, you know what, I'm going to seek Christ in the workplace and I'm going to refuse to work in an unethical manner, you might lose your job. For others of you, to live out your faith may mean that you're going to lose lifelong friendships or may mean that family members no longer respect you because they think you're a religious nut because you follow Jesus. We live in a culture where there are no absolutes. Everyone's right in their own way. Nothing is objective. Everybody just wants to believe whatever they want to believe about anything and you can't tell me that I'm wrong. You can't tell me that I'm wrong. The new bill on abortion that was passed in New York is a perfect example of this. A perfect example of this. And it burdens me. We live in a day and age where there's a bunch of people that said, you can't tell me when life starts. We determine that. You can't hold us accountable to that. Now, let me side note real quick. Okay, we've got an amazing ministry here at Wayside Chapel called Redeemed and Restored where ladies who have had abortions are going to this ministry and they're realizing that the grace of God covers all and they're finding healing and hope. And I know we probably have people in our congregation that have dealt with that. Your sin doesn't define you. Christ took it all to the cross and when he raised from the dead, he says, you're no longer defined by that sin, you're defined by my righteousness. And if you're struggling with that, with the guilt, you come, you join that group. There's hope and healing because of Jesus but we're also living in a day and age where there's a bunch of people who are calling evil good and good evil. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful. These are hard times to be a Christian. So when Christianity proclaims that everybody is accountable to the Bible or that there's only one way to God and it's through Christ, like if you believe that there's only one way to salvation, that it's through Jesus, that's hate speech. That's hate speech in the Western eyes. That's divisive. You can't talk like that. There's a lot of people who are cool with Jesus. But when you start sharing the gospel, that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father unless it's through him, that'll ruffle some feathers. Because the gospel is offensive to those who don't believe. And you don't need to make it offensive. It already is. It already is. Uh, When I first got married... um, I joined this international student program uh, at Texas A&M University. There you go. Come on. Um, And what they did is they paired you up with a conversation partner, um, usually someone from a different country. And you would meet up with them just so they could practice their English. And so I uh, got partnered up with this guy named Muhammad. And Muhammad was obviously from the Middle East. He actually had wonderful English. I don't know why he was in the program. Um, I think he just wanted a friend. And so we met up, and we'd, we'd, we'd get together every couple of weeks, and we'd just talk about life, and he became a good friend of mine. His wife, Zainab, would have my wife, Rachel, and I over to their house, and they'd cook dinner for us, and they'd serve us. And one time, actually the last time, 
that we met up with him, uh, we started talking about our faith. And he asked me kind of what I believe. And I remember telling him very gently but lovingly that I believe that salvation only comes, only comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. And Muhammad just nodded. He nodded his head. He said, yeah, that's great. That's great. He said, you know, I, I think we're all getting to the same place. Like, I, I focus on Muhammad, I pray to Allah, you focus on Jesus. But I think in the end, we're all going to be in heaven together. It's all good. It's all good. And I remember, I just, I gently told both of them. I said, you, you, y'all know that I love you. And y'all know that you're my friends. But I do not believe that. I believe that Jesus is the way. I believe that Jesus is the truth. I believe that Jesus is the life. And nobody will come to salvation unless it's through him. I said, I do not think that we're all going to be in heaven together unless you change what you believe about Jesus. Because I believe only those who believe in Jesus will inherit salvation. And I remember seeing the confusion on their faces as I made this exclusive claim about Jesus Christ. And I just thought to myself in that moment, life would be so much easier. Life would be so much easier if I could just pretend that none of this really mattered. If I could just pretend, you know, we're all in the same boat. Okay, we're just going to get along. We're not going to talk about anything offensive because we're all going to get to heaven. Like life would be so much easier if I just went about life that way. It was so hard to look these people in the eyes, people that I love. These were my friends. And to look them in the eyes and lovingly say, I disagree and I think you're wrong. I believe the Bible is very clear. If you don't believe in Christ alone for the salvation of your sins, you will be eternally separated from God. I believe that with all my heart. That is hard. That is, I don't know anyone out there that says, oh, that's just really easy to do. Not if you love people. If you love people, you share the gospel, but it's also very hard if they don't believe. It pains me to think that some of these people will be eternally separated by God if they do not surrender to Christ. But that's what the Bible says. It's easy just to worship God on Sundays. And the rest of your week, don't mention the gospel. Don't talk about it. Then you'll just get along with everybody. But I'll tell you what, that's not what our God has called us to do. He says, you get one life. And what I want you to do with that one life that I've given you, that precious life, you go be a faithful witness. And I want you to boldly proclaim with your words and with your deeds that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when you are persecuted for me, and when people hate you because of me, and when you suffer for my name's sake, you know that all of those opportunities, all of them, will be opportunities for the gospel to go out. And when the gospel goes out, people are going to get saved. People are going to get saved. When you faithfully witness for Christ, people will come to know the Lord. So be faithful, our God says. Jesus tells his people, trust me. When you're having hard conversations about the gospel, when you get kicked out of your country because of your faith, or even if you're martyred, you know that not one ounce of your suffering was in vain. Not one ounce. In the end, it's all going to be worth it. And I think the question that all of us have to ask ourselves is the question I have to ask myself. Am I willing? Am I willing to be hated? 
because of my faith in Christ? Or do I just want to get along with everybody? Am I willing to suffer for Christ's sake? Or do I just want to live an easy, non-confrontational life? Does the gospel, does the grace of God captivate my heart so much that I say, God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whoever you want me to share with, I'll share. Because that's how beautiful the gospel is to me. Do we have that approach? If we're honest, right, a lot of us are like, no. (laughs) Uh, Thinking about this stuff makes me really anxious. It makes me really fearful. And I just want to encourage you, uh, you are not alone. You're not alone. I get anxious every time I preach. I sit up there and I almost cry and I say, God, you give me strength. It's hard to be bold. But I trust in his grace and I trust in him to empower me because he's faithful. It's not about me. It's about him. And he's a good God. And he's going to do the same with you. When you trust him, he says, child, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to empower you. And you're going to be able to do things you didn't think you could do. And there's going to be boldness that you are going to have that you didn't think was possible because I am a God who is in charge of your life. And I am going to use you because I have willed it. So trust him. Trust him. But some of his followers were probably feeling anxious at this moment. I mean, this was tough to take in as they thought about the destruction of the temple, as they thought about what was coming to Jerusalem, as they thought about this period of suffering and persecution that was coming. I'm sure there are all sorts of thoughts. But Christ encourages his followers. He says, when that day comes, when the skies, there's going to come a day, the skies are going to burst open, and there's going to be cosmic chaos in the heavens. And that cosmic chaos is naturally going to affect the seeds and the tides, and the oceans, and things are going to look like they're going crazy, and paralyzing fear is going to encompass the entire earth, as it will look like the universe is literally breaking apart. And he tells his followers, he says, in that day, in that day, you stand tall. You stand tall, because I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Because the story ends with Christ himself coming on the clouds with power and great glory. And he says, you stand tall because in that day, your suffering is gone. In that day, you will never cry again. In that day, anxiety will no longer take hold of your heart. In that day, you will never suffer with depression. In that day, sin is never going to reign in your life. Righteousness will. And so you stand tall. You stand tall. He says, these things are going to pass away, but my words are going to last for all eternity. All eternity. And he gives them a parable, and he says, you can take what I say to the bank. These things are coming to pass. So finish the race. He says, you pray constantly. You strengthen one another. You be faithful. You suffer well. And you trust your God, because redemption's near. Let me end with this. I know, I guarantee you, there's probably folks here um, and you're hearing all this stuff, this judgment stuff, you don't know what to think. And one reason you don't know what to think is because you are not saved. You're not saved. And I just want to encourage you in what the Word of God says. The Word of God says this, For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him will never perish, but have life everlasting. If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved.
That's a guarantee. I'd love to talk to you about it. For the rest of you, eye contact. Y'all look at me. For the rest of you, you stand tall. Your God's good. He's with you. You be faithful. He's called you to be a witness. He'll equip you. So walk in faith. You trust him. And when that day comes, you lift your eyes because your redemption is near. So until that day, we're going to keep gathering. We're going to keep encouraging one another. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep opening up his word as we live to be salt and light in a very, very broken world. Would you pray with me? Well, Father God, we come before you, and as you already know, there's many of us where we wake up each day and we want to take the path of least resistance. And that always means let's not live out our faith, let's not share the gospel. God, would you remind us that you called fishermen? to be your first missionaries. You called untrained and uneducated men of God to go be salt and light out in the world because they had a relationship with you. For those of us that are saved, may we realize that the Holy Spirit indwells in us and he will give us the words to say to people of why we believe in what we believe. God, if there's anyone here today, which I'm sure there is, Maybe there's someone here, they've been coming to church their entire life. They've been going through the motions. Or maybe they think, because my parents are Christians, I'm a Christian. Uh, Our parents aren't going to stand in our place on Judgment Day. It's our faith. It's your grace. And it's that alone. It's in Christ. So God, I pray that if there's anyone here that hasn't trusted in you, may they do that today. Right now, God, would you open their eyes. God, we love you. Thank you for your patience towards us. And I ask that you would encourage us once again to go out from here and to live the life that you've called us to live. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.